Simple Life Together, Episode 56, Beware of the Comparison Trap. Hi, and welcome to Simple Life Together, a podcast dedicated to leading a simpler life in the modern world. I'm Dan Hayes. And I'm Vanessa Hayes. Hi, and welcome back to Simple Life Together. On the last episode of the show, we shared seven habits that you can develop to make your life simpler. Today is all about the comparison trap. And whether we're hardwired for it or it's learned behavior, I think we all kind of fall victim to the comparison trap from time to time, whether it's with houses or cars or paychecks, or, you know, toys if you're a kid. But I'm not just talking about kids. I'm talking about grown-up toys like boats, mm-hmm. <laughs> motorcycles, gourmet kitchens, with me, tech gadgets, uh-huh. you know, you name it. <laughs> but from time to time, we find ourselves comparing what we have against what others have. And it's not just when you have less But sometimes we even tend to compare just as much when we have more than others do, too. So thinking about it, what does comparison do for us or to us? Does it make us jealous, like we've been slighted? Or are we envious, like we deserve something, too? Or maybe we feel proud and superior because we have more or better quality things. And maybe the something to strive for is, when it comes to stuff, to try and stop comparing altogether. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're really going to kind of hit on today about trying to, you know, realizing that it doesn't do us much good mm-hmm. and we really should kind of try to change our ways a bit, I think. Right, and we all fall victim to it. But, uh, and you know what, it's not to say that there is no place for comparison. You know, if we use it for a tool um, and when we use it objectively, it can be a good thing. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, so, you know, like take for instance when it comes to determining who is the right fit for a job or a position at a company or on a team, I think comparison is okay when strictly used to determine a person's skills and the qualifications to perform that job or fill that position. You right. Know? Yeah. I kind of think of that like discernment. You know, you have mm. to discern between one thing or yeah. another, right? That's a good and word. So, yeah, naturally, comparison is good. So, it's also good when determining the quality of products or services that we invest in. You know, for instance, uh, if you're comparing prices or materials used in a product or where we get the best value for an education or or the experience level and ratings of a service provider. Right, we well, did it all the time. <laughs> yeah, and as a matter of fact, I'm going through that right now with our internet provider, yes. and I'm firing them. Yes. And I hired a new one, and uh, they start Tuesday, because the last one, we've had years and years of really, really bad terrible service. Terrible customer service. And, uh, and it's the number two hated company in the United States. That's terrible. But, um, we digress, of course. That's right. Yeah, not bitter. It's not a rant. But, you know... <laughs> When you compare things like that, it's it's good. You know, these may actually be considered, I guess, healthy reasons to compare. Right. But, you know, comparison becomes a trap when we use it to succumb to it to determine our value and our self-worth. Um, or even worse, the value and worth of others. I mean, that's horrible if you yeah. get to that position. Because, you know, you see, when we compare ourselves to others, it leads to nothing but discontent and unhappiness. And here's why. Comparison is one of the the negative side effects of our over-consuming society, you know, that yes. that really tantalizes us with this, our subconscious, with the false notion that our success is based on being rich and famous and having more and more and more. I mean, it's just splattered all over the media and on TV and all that stuff, you know. It's just the society that we live in. Um, and that gotta have more mentality automatically puts us in the race of trying to keep up with the Joneses. And Dan, uh, you have said this in past episodes, where does that really lead us? You know, you've asked that. Right. Where does that really lead us? And do we ever achieve enough? There will always, I repeat, 
always be folks with more stuff. So it's just a never-ending game. If right. you keep playing, oh, I got more than you, I'm going to get more, more, more. There will always be somebody with more. Yeah. So it's just a game that you really, why even play it, you know? Right. And, <laughs> and even if you're just comparing what you have to what you're, you think you're supposed to have, uh-huh. what uh, a lot of you know, societal expectations put on you and so forth, and it's like I, I do say that a lot. If you're not happy with the stuff that you have now, would you be happier with twice as much stuff? Or how about 10 times as much stuff? Mm-hmm. But chances are, in reality, you'd probably be a lot happier with about half as much yeah, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I believe that. You know, But it's a, definitely a great question to ask. But you know, have you ever found yourself in a situation or conversation where everyone kept one-upping <laughs> each other? All the time. All the time. Um, and honestly, I've been there too. Sure, you know, I think I've, we all I, probably I, have. Yeah, I've played, I played the game. <laughs> it, because you feel like that's how you're defending your self-worth. You know, it's funny, you get trapped into that game. You and do. it's like, why are you doing that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, just listen to kids or your friends or your coworkers at work, you know. If you just, you'll listen to these conversations. And it, and it happens constantly, constantly with, with children all the time. Oh, my goodness. I mean, like with our daughter and her friends at school or even in the neighborhood. I don't know if she's showing up, but she'll say, oh, I got a new bike. The other person says, oh, I got a bike, too. Or I got this, too. Or, oh, well, I've got this movie at home. I got this new DVD. I got this new toy. And it just goes on and on, on and, and on. on yep. And you know, what's funny is that Joshua Becker talks about that in his book, too. And um, we're going to talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. You love his new book, don't <laughs> but, you? Damn, it is great. But, Dan, what about like in the military? It's just totally prevalent there. I, mean, I think it is in every work situation. Yeah. You know? It's like, um, it's like before... A wrestling match, if you've ever, you probably haven't been on a wrestling team, but you know, <laughs> I know I'm just I guessing. But, um, but you know, it's, it's that weigh ins before where you're checking out your opponent and, you know, uh-huh. and, or before a game when you're trying to psych somebody out or whatever. I think it has a lot to do with that psychology, that whole, uh, you know, things that are hardwired into us to go in there and, you know, try and pump yourself up uh-huh. and maybe psych out your opponent. Yeah. But but these are people that you live with. They're not your opponents. They're people that you or friends. You know, you'll just be talking, and sometimes you don't mean to be comparing, but you are. You're subconsciously doing it. Like you know, a friend will be talking about how they got to take this trip, and you go, "Well, I went there too, and I went to this place." And all of a sudden, you're talking about you, and it starts to be centered on you, like you're trying to prove something. So it's just, it's just bad juju. Yeah. I'm just gonna say it's just <laughs> bad juju. So, but the problem is that this always, you know, this whole comparison trap thing always leads to envy and jealousy and even sometimes resentment, and that's just a bad place to be. And I know I've been guilty of this in the past, and, and sometimes today I get um, guilty of this. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what it is, but I, I'm glad that I can recognize it now. You know, It's like a stimulus response thing, you know, I, almost sometimes. You I know? Guess so. Unless you control it, it's almost an automatic thing, and if you've been doing it your whole life. And the comparison may not be that trying to prove that you have more, but you're looking at somebody else and and you're envying them because, like for me, I used to do this with my um, my family members, like my siblings. They were all thin, and I had struggled with my weight from high school into early adulthood. And I started to just become jealous that they had it to me. What seemed so easy to maintain their weight, and I just thought, man, I'm the one that has all the bad genes here, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so that led to me feeling like a victim, feeling helpless. And not doing anything about it for a long time. So you can right. see how just having that resentment and just compare myself to their outsides, basically, was just really, really, really bad. Right. <laughs> when you look back about your comparisons, how do you feel about that? Well, you know, what's interesting is I actually felt like well, what I wasn't doing was valuing what I did have to offer, valuing the good yeah. parts and taking advantage of the good things that my body did, my strength that I had and this and that. And as I got older, 
and I get into fitness, I realize the strength that I had. I look back and go, I'm so glad I'm not like super skinny. I'm glad I have strength and all right. that stuff. And I, so I just kind of owned it. And then I looked at what I did have, my strengths, and I just focused on that instead of what other people had. Yeah. I was like, this is the body that I've been given. I've got some great things to, <laughs> to do and th- that this body can do. And it really was kind of empowering. It was pretty yeah, cool. So, that's cool. Anyway, just a personal story there, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about at work? Well, that happens at you work, too. Work. Yeah, that happens, too. Like, I have a lot of really good organizer friends here in San Antonio. And sometimes I'll compare, you know, I'll hear about their success. And, and I have this instant reaction of like, gosh, that sounds good. Should I be doing that, too? Right. I mean, they're tapping into this type of work or whatever. I'm like... I could do that. I'm really yeah. good at, should I be doing that? And then, then all of a sudden I'm like, no, I'm good with what I have. I am, I've got like the perfect clientele. Yeah. So it's just funny how you just start to think that that is what is important. Yeah. And it's like, you look at them and you think, oh, it comes easy for them. Yeah. Or, or when you see somebody's success, it's like, well, they're successful at that. Well, they have a background in marketing. So oh, that's yeah. such a good point. Yeah. yeah you automatically assume that they were, they have more business and right. doing that. It just takes you down a bad path. And then you yeah. start making up things in your head, which leads us to another reason why comparing ourselves to others is unhealthy. It can lead us to feelings of inadequacy. Yeah. Which is terrible. Yeah. You know, and it reminds me of gym class in middle school. What? I'm just, not, <laughs> just, just keep going. <laughs> Yeah. So you're crazy. So the thing about it is that comparisons. Are wait, always... I'm saying because I wasn't good at basketball. How oh, did okay. you take it? Okay. Oh wait. Oh, shower. Okay. Oh man. <laughs> you started. <laughs> well, the thing about it is that comparisons. Um, Oh, actually, I'm going to use a quote here. This is actually from Joshua Becker's new book, Clutter Free with Kids. Again, I'm going to talk about this in just a minute, too, in a little bit more detail. But he says, comparisons are always unfair. We typically compare the worst we know of ourselves with the best we presume of others. And that is right on point, isn't it? Oh, it sure is. I've mentioned this before on the show, too, that gal at uh, WDS who said you, you typically you're comparing your insides with somebody else's outsides. Yeah, and that's just bad. Yeah. It's, just, it it's just not good to do that to yourself. So, so I think that's kind of some of the mental things that you can do to yourself that are not really healthy when it comes right. to the comparison trap. Yeah. Well, kind of bringing it back to the stuff world that we live mm-hmm. in, sometimes we just aren't much better than we were when we were kids. And like I said, I think we're kind of hardwired for this initially, but... You know, when we're kids, we compare, you know, what kind of tennis shoes or running shoes we had or what kind of jeans that we have. And as we get older, it just manifests itself differently if we don't put it in check. Mm -hmm. And I got a really stupid example that that really dates me. But I remember, you know, I'm a child of the 80s, right? So uh, I guess it was, actually it was middle school, so it was late 70s. But yeah, it's like you were a teen of the 80s. I was a child of the 80s. Yeah, okay, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was born in the 60s, but anyhow. But clogs, you remember clogs, like Bastad clogs? They were so huge. I mean, that was a super fad, right? Everybody had these Bastad clogs. Well, I wanted some too. Everybody had them. All the cool kids were wearing them. At least we thought thought they were cool at the time. I'd, but anyway, I digress. But I wanted a pair. I wanted to fit in. And so, well, we couldn't afford a pair of Bastad clogs. That was the clog to have. Uh-huh. Guys had these brown Bastad porthole clogs, uh-huh. right? Look that one up on Google. And uh, But anyway, I, I had to have a pair of that. And so my mom said, okay, we're going to go get you some clogs. Well, we went to this shoe store 
that's when you had to go to a shoe store to get shoes because they're you know they just didn't have these big department stores. Right? Uh-huh. Uh, but anyway, well, we didn't have the money for Bastard clogs, so she she got me these other clogs, and they were not. They were not the cool clogs. And not only that, one of them had kind of a flaw in the leather. So one was like this proud, fully shaped clog. And the other one had this like wilted leather on the toe. And I was so embarrassed of oh. those. And here it is, my you know, my mom and dad scraping together the money to get yeah. me these. And I was unappreciative. I didn't show it, you know, because uh, that's just not how it was with you know, my parents. I was yeah. always appreciative. and But... But I was embarrassed of those because it was different than everybody else's. And I even I even lied. I said, well, yeah, this, these are bastards. They're just a different kind. And, you know, I didn't want to be like everybody else. And, and, and honestly, it was a total cover-up. And I just felt terrible. And I, looking back now, there was so much pressure yeah. internally. Mm-hmm. You know, because nobody else said anything, really. Or, Why don't you have a pair of these? Mm-hmm. But it was me. It's my own perception that I needed to have them to fit in. I have the but, same kind of story when it comes to Cabbage Patch Kids or the members only jackets. Yeah. We were just talking about this the other day. <laughs> yeah. But um, my dad, he was overseas for a year and my mom was home with the four kids for that year, kind of raising us on her own and, and money was pretty tight. She was going to school, getting her um, nursing degree, but we just really couldn't afford a lot. And back then, I mean, it was expensive to make any kind of a phone call. Oh, yeah. They were telling me almost 50 bucks just to make like an hour phone call back then. Oh, at least. Yeah, and it, it was, you know, that's um, 81 is that, that when that was. And I'm yeah. like, oh my goodness. What was crazy is that I look back and so my dad got these knockoff uh, Cabbage Patch Kids dolls for us and these knockoff members only jackets. That's what the GIs do. They send all and, this fake stuff home. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, we really, really did appreciate it because we knew we didn't have a lot then. Um, but at the same time, part of me was wishing that I had a, a Cabbage Patch Kid. And so later on, when I was old enough to make my own money as babysitting and stuff, I bought my own Cabbage Patch Kid. And I still have that today, and our daughter now plays with that. But only because I was proud that I earned it. But I so wish that I, I had that old doll that I could pass on to her. Because to me, that just represents something different. You know, like, yeah, it wasn't the name brand, yeah. but we got it. So anyhow, yeah. Yeah, well, I know we all fall victim to it. We, we do. but And I think as we get older, it just manifests itself differently, like I was saying. And if we don't put it in check, you know, like what kind of car, what kind of boat, what kind of suit or purse or house or shoes, whatever. We also compare our job. What's your title, man? What kind of benefits you got? Yeah. Your perks and all that. You got a company car. Mm-hmm. And even for parents, you know, where what your kids have. Oh, yeah, I got my kid a, a, a motorcycle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I bought him a car for their 16th birthday and where they go to school, all of that. And I've even seen adults one-upping each other over what their adult kids do for a living Oh. Or they drive, or where they live. It yeah. just perpetuates the cycle, and they just get caught up in it. The hard part is trying to combat those expectations now, because your children have, they start to internalize those expectations just because other kids have it. And so, oh, yeah. I know that's one of our biggest, biggest battles as parents now is trying to, well, not with our older, not with our older kids. Yeah. Um, our son is pretty, he's pretty uh, he's laid real back. level headed. But yeah. you know, our young one, six year old, she's a little bit more impressionable, especially with all the toys and stuff. So it's kind of a, it's a daily battle, really. Yeah. So. so anyway, I think, uh, you know, like most things in life, there's good news and there's bad news. But uh, <laughs> the bad news is I think this is always going to be out there, this whole comparison trap right. that you mentioned. It's always going to be out there. But the awesome news is that for us, it ends when we say it ends. Mm-hmm. You know, we're the ones who control how we feel. And we have to admit that we can't end it for anybody else. Mm-hmm. It's, all, there's always going to be comparisons. But we can end it for ourselves. And when you and I talked about this, Vanessa, the couple of things that you came up with were 
experiences and people will always make you happier. Of course, right. good friends, good you know, family, and all that <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We don't need to keep on you know the the bad people around in our lives, but right. uh, yeah, it, and we talked about this last week too, where it's you know just really value experiences over things. They yeah. will always always make you happier. Right. And what was the other one that you said? The other one is I think, um, and I've heard this before, and and I've done this myself, is that instead of being envious of somebody, turn it right back around. And celebrate their success. Right. Celebrate that promotion. So I, I know I do this with my peers, um, my organizers, uh, a couple of really close friends of mine. When they are, when they land a big job or when they just do something big in their business, I am sincerely happy for them. Yeah. You know, and I think that really changes you internally and it puts a different perspective on things and it's just a positive perspective. So yeah. celebrate their successes instead of envying in them. I think that's a maybe some good advice. Yeah, I think job wise, you're just. You're just going to be happier in your chosen profession. You know, you spend so much time doing it. If you just really love it and love the people around you, even if it's like a sales job or something like that, mm-hmm. super competitive. Or like you, you're a service provider, and you know, it's it really can be super competitive. But you know, supporting one another, mm-hmm. there's an, there's enough out there for everybody. We don't have to. Yeah. We don't have to. You know, draw our little lines in the sand. And that's right. And so, anyhow. So that's about it, really. I mean, what we really want you to take away is to think about what comparison really does for us. And it can certainly be helpful for some things, but when we use a tool like comparison to gauge our worth, you know, our self-worth or our status or our standing based on things that we have or we don't have, that's when comparison leads us down that slippery slope. But like we said, much like the ruby slippers that Dorothy had, each of us has the power to escape the, the, the chokehold that comparison can put on us if we let it. And where comparison can kind of be like our kryptonite, mm-hmm. I think simplicity and learning to love the things that you have and how things are in your life mm-hmm. that, that you've shaped, that can be our real superpower. Good yeah. point. So do you find yourself comparing what you have against what others have? And if you do, how does it make you feel? If you've stopped, what made you stop and how does that feel differently? We would love to know. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, people do struggle with this and we all do. I, I think I have to throw that out there. I think we all do from time to time, but well, the key is really to work at it. Yeah, and if you have something to share, we would love to hear from you and you can leave a comment and share at simplelifetogether.com slash 056. All right, cool. Now, I'm excited about this part, all right? We said that we we're going to try some new things in 2014. And this is a whole new segment that we're going to try, and we're going to call it Cues and Comments, and it's questions and comments that we get from folks who email us or comment on the website. Typically, we've read feedback from iTunes iTunes. reviews, Mm -hmm. and we're still going to do that. We'll do that today, as a matter of fact. But sometimes we answer questions. They're great questions that could benefit everybody. Mm -hmm. So we're going to take a little bit of time and go through some of these questions and answer them. And we're, we're not scripting this out or anything like that. It's just kind of off the cuff for us, right? So here goes. The very first one is from Claire. And Claire wrote, I heard you talking about small house living and thought I'd share a tiny bit about my downsized home. Dan, you were talking about 500 square feet. And Vanessa, you said you couldn't go lower than 750. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I have a 950 square foot uh, home and Claire also shared some photos with us and her place is absolutely beautiful. But she goes on to write, I've also lived in a 400 square foot unit in my previous property, a 3,200 square foot house that included a 400 square foot unit. Hmm. I'm in San Diego and my property has three units, a small 950 square foot Craftsman bungalow, 
two bedroom, one bath where I live, a 187 square foot studio where my 18 year old son lives for now and I rent when he's gone, and a two bedroom, one bath, 1200 square foot rental unit in the back. Mm -hmm. I also have a 20 by 30 converted garage slash studio where all my clutter goes. (laughs) Well, it has a home. That's good. So she says, my space is very sweet, but I'm finding my 11 by 12 bedroom is pretty small, Mm. even for one person, and I'm only five feet tall. A queen bed would fill the room. A king would be out of the question. My closet is five feet wide by 24 inches deep. I don't have a ton of stuff, but it needs to be constantly pruned and rearranged. Uh, Need to start uh, Project 333, of course. (laughs) And she says, it's only me. The main living space feels spacious because I've made it pretty open. But after two years here, I'm suddenly feeling a little crowded in my room. From being in other bungalows, I think another three to five feet of width in my room would make all the difference. If you're building from scratch, you can work around some of my limitations, such as my dining room is lovely and I use it, but I couldn't steal space from here for the bedroom side of the house. Ditto for the living space. I rented the house over the summer to a delightful couple with two big teenage boys. Come to find out they are 5'10 and 6'3. When I finally met them, I remarked that they must have felt like they landed in Munchkin land. That's funny. That's two Wizard of Oz references in one show. So... That's when I started to realize that with two people, you really need a little more room for a queen bed, maybe a chair, and more closet space. Mm -hmm. I love my home, and I bought with similar thoughts to yours. But honestly, I wouldn't mind just a tiny bit more room, especially when my kids are here or I have guests. Not to mention if I get a boyfriend one of these days. Uh Anywho, and she wrote, anywho. Thank um, you. (laughs) Just a thought. Just thought you might like some tiny insight into smaller living. You guys are doing a great job with your podcast. Congratulations on making it such a success. That's great feedback. Well, I think it's great because she's helping to justify um, a bigger space for the two of us. So she's countering your argument, which I absolutely love. Yeah. Now, I'm all about living smaller, but you need to be um, realistic. And she's talking from firsthand experience. And, and I know some folks can live smaller. I think we need to either test it out in a different space. Um, I know you talk about small, like 500 square feet or less yeah. for you. But to me, that's for you. Like that would be one person. But when you have two people, and and we have you know a six year old, and when we move into a smaller house, she'll be ten. She's going to be bigger and require, you know, well, she's just going to be bigger. Right. <laughs> and our son will be at college, so. But I really appreciate the detail and the advice, and just knowing that even when you have a simple, and you've simplified things, it still can be a little cramped. So. Yeah, and you know, I have to respect Claire's experience with this too. I have a concept in my mind mm-hmm. that. I've never actually lived out with a family. And now you know I've lived in shipping containers, and you have too, mm-hmm. and tents and all that stuff. But those are, that's for a finite period of time. Right. And, it's temporary. Yeah. Right? So ideally, I would like it to be smaller, but I trust Claire's judgment. And, yeah. and you know, 500 feet may be a little bit too small. We did correspond after this, and she mentioned a little bit here too, that really the design of it is mm-hmm. where... That makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, and I know that's we talk about that a lot too. Yeah. But uh, you know, having higher ceilings or whatever, yeah. you know, and maybe some more windows to kind of make you feel like you're outside. So anyway, Claire, you put the smack down on me. <laughs> and <laughs> no, but I re- I totally you. respect it. I totally respect it, and that's great feedback. And I got a lot of research to do, and and you know, the good thing is we have time to test this stuff out. So thank you so much, Claire. We wanted yours to be the first. We really appreciate anything that you else you have to add because I'm still interested in it. I'm telling you. <laughs> so next up, Don wrote and said, you guys have such a great chemistry and energy. I really enjoy the philosophy you two preach and the general lifestyle. Since the new year, I've been getting rid of a lot of my stuff and it feels great. 
Being a single graduate student living in a university campus apartment, having too much stuff is a total waste of money and effort to maintain them. I do have a question, though. What is your approach to home decor? I've always liked a simplistic home design, but I also don't want to be too American Psycho with nothing but a table and a bed. (laughs) So how do you guys strike a balance between minimalism and still having a homey place to live? Cheers. All right. I'm going to start out on this one, if you don't mind. Okay. Now, I know that you're kind of the commander in chief of aesthetics for the the house, right? But actually, ours are very similar. similar. Mm -hmm. So one of the things to answer Don's question is, we've made a conscious effort not to buy in so much to home decor. Right. Like, we don't go to a store and walk through the home decor department. Mm -mm. Because what we've decided to have in our house are things that have a couple of attributes. One is we like them to have Mm multi-purpose. Two is we really, really like them to be meaningful to us. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of usually a backstory. Like, for example, I have a handmade kite from Korea that was hand-painted. And then I had that framed and nice silk frame and all that good stuff. And it reminds me of the time. It's decorative, but it's also meaningful. Mm -hmm. So let's use our entryway as an example. So right now in our house, we have a little entryway. As you walk in, Vanessa, you have you have your kite and mm-hmm. that's framed. And then mm-hmm. we have a shelf and on that shelf is more stuff. I got my stick from from Kenya. Mm-hmm. We have the uh, Watasumwa uh, yeah, we, painting the, from... The calligraphy from Jordan. From Jordan. We have the pictures over. There's a little bar, a wooden bar that you got in Korea. Uh-huh. That's also functional because it's, it stores a lot of the you know, <laughs> alcoholic g- beverages and supplies. And, yeah. <laughs> and then above that, are there's three little pictures, silk, uh, silk pictures that I got when I lived in Japan. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, there's that little mask I b- picked up in Ethiopia. Yep. And... So it's just, res- yeah, it's it basically represents a lot of the travels that we had in our military experience. And, and we even have a collection of um, just a small bowl of different military coins that we got. Yeah. And like Dan was saying, so it's got to be meaningful for us. That's our criteria. Meaningful, um, hopefully meaningful, and um, it could be decorative as well. Right. Or it's multifunctional. So I have this beautiful piece of furniture, but it's also a bar. It's functional. Right. I can use it. Or you have this beautiful piece on the wall. But um, it's a candle, too. I mean, you can use it for light or whatever. Yeah. So there's just, you try to think of it like that. And and the last thing we'd like to say is that don't always feel like you have to fill that, every single space. That's what I wanted to hit on hard. We love margin. <laughs> yes. And so. it wasn't always like that. But a lot of people see an empty space in their home and they automatically try to... F- Find something for that space, and you just don't always need something that's for right. that. Enjoy the space, <laughs> explore the space. Explore the space. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, that's from a Saturday Night Live skit. Have more cowbell. <laughs> right. So, you know, learn to, learn to appreciate that margin and not fill it. That's our aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, we, if we had to call it anything, we have some mid century modern in there, some mid century modern furniture pieces. Mm-hmm. And some modern modern things, but everything is kind of utility. Yeah. We do have just a couple of paintings on the wall, but uh, those mean something to me. They're, uh, you know, one of my heroes, Georgie Patton, which I probably have the only <laughs> wife in the world that lets me hang pictures of George Patton in my <laughs> living room. Oh, wow, because my, it's and, like, yeah, I got George Patton and, on the wall. And they're wall. beautifully framed. My, ex, my ex-wife framed those, yeah. and she does, she's a fantastic framer. Yeah. And uh, framed me for a couple of things. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, she, I mean, she does beautiful, beautiful work. Yeah. And so, um, but that's how we do it, Don. So we kind of keep those things in mind. And finally, we have a note from April and she writes, Hi, Vanessa. 
Thanks so much for all that Dan and you do for the SLT podcast. I love listening to your husband and you and appreciate your hard work and willingness to share your lives. You all are very brave. My husband and I have a six-year-old daughter and we want her to be able to play and create, but need to set up better boundaries. We don't want to be a child-centered family with kid stuff thrown everywhere, strewn everywhere from one end of the house to the other. I was looking through your boards on Pinterest and noticed the one with pictures of your house, which is lovely, by the way. Thank you. I was, <laughs> I was wondering, what do you do with your daughter's toys? Does she play in her room? And does she do crafts at home? And if so, do you do that on the kitchen table and just clean up after dinner? I didn't see anything specific about toys and kids stuff on your GetSimplifies.com site. So I thought I'd ask you directly. Well, I thought it was a great question. And as a matter of fact, I do have a few um, things about kids. But when I was starting the blog on Get Simplified years ago, I wasn't really good on the keyword stuff <laughs> and the SEO and all that good stuff. So sometimes it's kind of hard to find things. But I've got things about nightly routine, about how my, at the time, three-year-old taught me a little bit about clutter, talking about setting up zones for kids. And I even highlighted her school at the time that she was going to. And a lot of that is we're actually going to move over to simplelifetogether.com right. so we don't have two sites to maintain. And so um, I drafted up a really good response for April so much so that I'm going to actually post this as a blog post on the website. But basically, yes, she has toys. They are all in her room and they're all in open bins or open cubbies. Um, She has a little cubby shelf. They all go in there or she has open bins underneath the bed. So when she puts everything away, there really are no toys inside except for a couple stuffed animals. It's just it keeps it nice and clean, but she knows exactly where everything is because it's either labeled or it's open where she can see it. So she knows where it goes. Now, she does play out in the living room all the time. Yes. But I've set up rules and I started this very early with her. Like when she, as soon as she could walk, basically, I said, you know, I'm going to have her clean up right before lunch, nap, and then right um, after dinner, right before bedtime. Or any time, no matter what, if we had to leave the house, she always cleaned up. And so I started that very, very young. You did. And, you nailed that. And so she, and this was before I became an organizer. I just kind of geeked out on parenting books. And they always said, you need to have some structure, some boundaries for the kids, and some routines. And so, because they just, they get secure. They, when they know what to expect and what's expected of them, it just builds a sense of security for them. Yeah. Now, when it comes to the crafts, she um, has a desk in her room, and it has some drawers in there. And I have a few craft supplies. She has some markers, um, crayons, and she does like a little spirograph stuff. And she has a couple crochet kits that she can play with. And that stays in her room. And, um, and she knows that she has to clean that up, you know, the second she's done with the activity. If she has the messier stuff, we have a stainless steel table in our kitchen. And she uses that for her clay, the Play-Doh, anything glue-related, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, the paints and all that good stuff, watercolors, that all strictly happens in the kitchen. And she has her own bin for that in our pantry. So she knows that bin to grab those things when she wants right. to get creative. Because so, that's a long, it's just a stainless steel table, eight yeah. feet long. Yeah, she can play on that to her heart's content, and I love it. So, so I like to encourage the crafts. I don't like the mess, but I want her to, you know, experience her creativity. So, she has that. Um, I also have some other tips, you know, um, as far as that goes. But bottom line is, it's routine. It's containing those items. She has her space. It's all about making them clean up afterwards. No matter what, if she wants to move on to a different activity, she has to clean up. She, so she that's my clean. advice to you for kids. So I think thought it was a great question. And again, I'll probably post a blog post on the website with some pictures and stuff. So Very cool. That's it. So coming up next, we got the thing segment. And really, you're going to cover the thing this week, Vanessa. So go for it. Well, 
um, we had mentioned Joshua Becker earlier, and we've had him on the show. We've done an interview with him, and he has a blog called Becoming Minimalist. Right, and he will also be um, a keynote speaker at uh, Simple Rev. Right, right, so, right. More about well, that. this week um, he released his brand new book called Clutter Free with Kids. And I love all of Joshua's books, but I was honestly a little bit skeptical of this one and how it was going to be any different, you know, because he always makes a compelling argument for minimalism and stuff. So, but I knew it would be good with some tips, but of course he totally delivered. Um, and what I like most is that it is a simple book. It's only about 200 pages uh, that has practical advice on how to raise your kids clutter free and with this clutter free mentality, but it's not an organizing book. It's more about intentional parenting, which I love. And uh, Joshua gives a very compelling reason for minimalism in all his books. But having read having read those books, in this one, I feel like he is writing more with conviction. Because his whole idea that being minimalist, is, it's becoming minimalist. It's going to be different for everybody. Right. It's a process. But in his earlier books, and this is just something I thought about um, this morning, in his earlier books... You know, he's talking about why it's been good and this and that. But now that he's lived it for a few years, he has more conviction about it than ever. And so his writing has really, to me, flourished. That's why I kept telling Dan, I was like, I love this book. So I think all of you would enjoy it. It's definitely well worth the read. It may still be on sale. I'm not sure on Amazon, but um, the best place to find it, Dan, would yeah, be... Yeah, you can just uh, go to simplelifetogether.com slash clutterfree, and that will take you to Amazon where you can read all about the book. Yeah. So we've and we've gotten some great feedback on it on the Edit and Forget It Facebook page too. Yeah. So that's good stuff. All right, so we got some announcements. Vanessa, you you're up for the first one. Okay, so you just mentioned it, Dan Simple Rev. Um, Dan is working with our friend Joel Zaslowski. I I always I love his name, but I have such a hard time saying Zaslowski. You right? always nail it on the first try. Okay, <laughs> Joel Joel will be very proud. Um, he's uh, he is of value of simple, and um, he is doing a simplicity summit called Simple Rev, which is short for Simple Revolution. And Dan was talking about this earlier. It will be uh, two hundred plus passionate simple living advocates, and Joshua Becker, who we just just talked, talked about. about of becoming minimalist, will be there, and even others like Brooke McGallery of Slow Your Home and Muhammad Tahami of Midway simplicity and they will be supporting um, from away from far <laughs> yeah because they live overseas but man i'm so looking forward to this and the dates are october 3rd and 4th of 2014 in minneapolis minnesota and it's going to be held joel's has done so much work on this mm -hmm. and he was able to get the university of st thomas which is uh, in their downtown campus which looks like it will be an amazing spot for the summit. Oh, so we've already gotten some great feedback on that. There's actually a survey out as well. And to learn more, just go to simplerev.com or simplelifetogether.com slash rev, R-E-V. And we wanted to do another special thanks to all of you who left some reviews for us on iTunes. Like we said, it really helps people find uh, the show and here's a quick sample, just a little bit from each <laughs> that we received this week. And we just wanted to make sure that we gave these folks a quick shout out. Okay, so Ortho Monkey from the United States wrote, Dan and Vanessa are a rising tide floats all boats sort of couple. That's You know what? I learned that saying from Dan Miller, who I absolutely love from 48days.com. And that means a lot when somebody says that because we really do try to support the whole simplicity movement. We're not... You know, we started yeah. this for our journey, mm -hmm. and now we've kind of transitioned to really sharing other people's stories. That's what the whole cues and comments is about. Yeah. And so a rising tide rises all boats or floats all boats. We love that. So thank you so much there, Ortho Monkey. 
And Hikerbird, also from here in the States, said, I've been a listener since the podcast started. It never gets old. Oh, That's cool. We wonder. Yeah, yeah, we wonder if people really still like it. Um, okay, so uh, Cajun Indian from United States found us through Farnoosh Brock's site, and they started listening this week and have already listened to 14 episodes. Wow. For, it's like 14 hours worth of stuff of us in a week. I don't uh-huh. even know if I can handle that. And Revy4274 from the United States wrote, all caught up. I love this podcast. I found it maybe five weeks ago, and over a three-week break from work, I have listened to all 54 episodes. How's that for a Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Remember yeah. that uh, one time we got the email from uh, folks that, hey, getting ready to drive cross-country, right. downloaded them all to CD, listened to them, every single one. So, And finally... N. Ramsland from here in the States said, Vanessa and, and Dan consistently produce fresh and useful podcasts on topics of simplicity. As co-hosts, they bring a warm, open, and light dynamic that I look forward to week after week. I started listening for their subject matter. <laughs> Sorry. He's reading forward uh, yeah. here. I started listening for their subject matter, but honestly, at this point, I would keep listening to them if they started podcasting about the social lives of pugs in post-industrial Pacific Northwest cities. I love That's it. That's awesome. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, folks. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time oh. to share your comments. We really, really, really appreciate it. And we're trying to stay accountable with you guys as we go through Courtney Carver's Project 333 in the Dress, for, uh, Dress With Less course. So we're still going strong, but if you have any questions... Hey, we want you to hold us accountable and ask questions about it. Mm-hmm. And you can just go to simplelifetogether.com slash dress to find out more. I know how they can hold me accountable. I owe everybody yeah. that, pod, that that blog post. You do. And I can hold you accountable right now because I got 33 things, but you're wearing one of them now. You're wearing my jacket. Oh, so that sorry. counts against you. All right. <laughs> well, remember, if you have questions or comments, you can always reach us at dan at simplelifetogether.com and at Daniel Hayes on Twitter or Vanessa at SimpleLifeTogether.com and at Get Simplified on Twitter. And there are links to our Google Plus profiles on the website. So that's it for episode 56 of Simple Life Together. Remember, don't fall victim to the comparison trap. And if you do, turn to simplicity as your superhuman power to combat it. And our thing this week was Joshua Becker's new book, Clutter Free with Kids. You can find out more at SimpleLifeTogether.com slash Clutter Free. And if you haven't already, be sure to sign up for Edit and Forget It. Just go to simplelifetogether.com slash edit, and we'd love to interact with you too on the Facebook page. As usual, you can find all links and info from today's show at simplelifetogether.com slash 056. So let us know what you think of the show and how you're simplifying your life too. Any way we hear from you, we'll take it. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. (laughs) So until next time, we hope you enjoy your Simple Life Together. Simple Life Together.